Hey everyone, welcome to Hard Fork Life, a podcast for everything Web3. I am Kasra, your host, and today I had the pleasure of talking to Nick, the co-founder of MetaGates. Now, MetaGates is a Web3 MMORPG game, and it has a world full of dragons. Dungeons player can get immersed into this world and play different characters, craft new things. So it's kind of your typical, but very, very appealing type of game that gets you immersed into it and you want to continue playing it. And I think this conversation was in particular so interesting because we got to hear about Nick's background and also his take on what is important for Web3 games to become more mainstream so there are obviously a lot of tasks in front of a Web3 game founder, but it's important to prioritize the right ones and also have the right view about how to go and build this game. So we touched upon uh, fundraising for Web3 game founders, also how you should recruit, how you should think about the technical aspect, the creative part of the process. And also we got to hear about what's upcoming for MetaGates. So this episode is going to have a lot of valuable insights for you, especially if you're thinking about building a game in the world of Web3. But before diving in, a few words from our sponsors. Flare.dev is the Web3 platform that allows you to build, sell, and scale in Web3. It flares NFT tiered sales, credit card, and cross-chain payment you can increase your NFT sales by at least 50% because you can allow your users to pay for your NFT via credit card or any crypto they have in their wallet and also connect their wallet or if they don't have one already, Flare is going to create a custodial wallet on behalf of them. Also with Flare's scalable smart contracts, relayer and indexing API, you can read, write and build on blockchain in a scalable way. So whether you're a dApp, a game, or a Web2 company that wants to build on blockchain, Flare has you covered for the long run. So definitely check flare.dev. That is F-L-A-I-R dot dev. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Really glad to have you with us today. Doing great, Kazra. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm um, really excited about our conversation today. Uh, in our platform, Flare, we have been working together with your project, MetaGates. So I'm super excited about diving deep into, you know, what you are building in the world of Web3 and also your previous experience. Uh, so maybe before we dive in, really love to hear about your background and what made you interested in starting a Web3 gaming company. All right. Um, so my entire life, I've been into gaming. Um, I got into some MMORPGs as a child, Ultima Online, Asheron's Call, RuneScape, World of Warcraft, and um, did, did a fair share of grinding, uh, accumulating gold, selling it in these games, and um, I made bots that would go out and farm gold, and that led me to uh, college where I was kind of gaming and um, trying to pursue my passions and studies. So um, ended up taking the path of 
cognitive science, which is a mixed discipline. It's psychology, uh, machine learning, uh, some robotics, uh, artificial intelligence, that, that type of a, of a PhD program. And um, that got me into wargaming in college. So during college, I was, I was working on perception and action war games where you're, you're fighting in, in a virtual reality environment. You put a headset on, you're in a, a room, you have all these sensors on you, and um, you're training soldiers to respond to threats or non-threats as fast as possible. Um, so we would analyze how fast someone could pull a trigger um, if they identified a threat or if there was like a hostage in a situation. So uh, that's what I did in college. That led me into um, early drone development out of college. And um, as a passion, I, I was gaming. I was doing a lot of 3D design, um, 3D printing, modeling and simulation. And um, I, I was quite successful with all of these things. And uh, one of my passions was getting into video game development at some point again in my life since that's kind of what I, I aspired to do in college when I first got into cognitive science. So I saw Web3 come around. It reminded me of buying and selling gold in, in these early MMORPGs and what what brought me on that, that intellectual journey in life. And um, yeah, I went came full circle. I got into building a game similar to what I wanted because I noticed there aren't a lot of games like Metagates currently. It's a very niche genre and um, there's a big hole to fill of open world MMORPGs where you can fight people, they drop their loot, you take their loot, and there's a whole economic system behind it. So yeah, that's that's the the long story. <laughs> it seems like you have touched a lot of things before getting to the gaming, but well, that's a really fascinating story. And also, we don't think that there's, you know, there's physics on all these things behind the games that we enjoy every day. So it seems like you went really deep into them, at least in college, and now you are making them reality. Um, but I mean, for the folks that really don't know, because, you know, like we play games and we don't know how much attention or a lot of work is going behind the scenes of making a game. So for maybe clarification, what are the steps that you need to take, for example, to bring something like the, the current version of MetaGates to life? What, what are the processes that you need to take to make this a reality? So I work with a lot of developers that are also making their own games. And one of the key things um, that helps us get Metagates into the current level of development that it's in is knowing exactly what you want. The skills, the economy, the way the world's built, uh, the story behind the world, and then the long-term design of the game. Like you see all these layers because a game like this, it's it's got many, many, many layers. Like if you think about a game like uh, World of Warcraft or RuneScape, they started at a certain at a certain level and at a certain level of development. And 
what separates these types of games is being updated weekly and monthly, yearly, and then constantly adding layers to them. So if you know exactly what you want in a game and you can single out the core things just to get the, the basic design down, um, then you can learn how to make those things in something like Unreal or Unity or Godot or whatever engine you please. Because there, there's a lot of these new engines that you can use to develop games lately. You don't have to build everything from scratch like you used to, you know, 15 years ago. Um, so knowing exactly what you want and then finding people that can help you get exactly what you want made because it's it's not a you can't really do it as a solo dev too efficiently it's just there's just too much going on so that's that's what i would suggest is figure out exactly what you want to do map it out and then just start figuring out the engine uh which engine you'll use yeah exactly just having that clarity of mind about this is the type of game i want to build and these are like say the core elements of it so uh, I can go out and now uh, and see what type of tools out there that can help me or what type of developers. And I think that's a bit missing in the current world of Web3 because, I mean, first of all, there's not a lot of knowledge about, you know, I mean, what type of gameplay exactly you want to build. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just like its own, let's say, skill set to um, basically make a game like a, a rea reality in the world. Um, but I mean, you mentioned a, a really good example of, you know, there are these engines like Unreal or Unity that, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to building a lot of things from scratch. Let's say they provide you these tools. How important were they into, you know, making your process, development process faster? Um, and for example, did you find the same tooling in the world of, let's say, blockchain integration? Like, is that also the same as the world of, let's say, Web2, or that still hasn't caught up yet? Uh, blockchain, to me, is uh, archaic. Like, I've been to a lot of different hacker houses and conferences, and there isn't a lot developed. A lot of teams, they say they've made all these things that usually don't exist. Um, they'll exist one day. But a lot of these teams are focused on raising money and just over-promising, and they're adopting the, the Elon Musk model of saying they'll have a, a cyber truck, you know, a couple couple months or a couple years from now, and you'll, you'll probably be waiting for years. So on the blockchain side, um, personally, from going out to all these conferences, hands-on, meeting as many teams as possible, um, not a lot has been built at all. And the stuff that has been built is focused on gambling um, or staking or all these things that don't, they don't appeal to, to normal gamers. They appeal to Web3 gamers. And Web3 gamers, while they're a great crowd, there are only so many of them. There are really, there are all these different statistics of how many are out there. But it's nowhere close to Web three and or Web two in terms of um, um, how many players there are. It's like it's way less than one percent. So modeling these tools after what Web three gamers want 
isn't really a good direction for a lot of these blockchain companies. It's, it's modeling their tools and products to be cheaper, better, and faster than what already exists in Web2. And, or delivering something that doesn't exist in Web2, or um, just having a, a better payment type of experience. So when you, when you play a game right now, you log in, usually you have to pay some, you have to do a 2FA, um, buy, buy either a pre-order package, the released game, or download a free-to-play game. And if it's free-to-play, they're generally subscriptions, skins, um, loot boxes, things of that sort available. Um, and you, you buy these things and they're built to be consumed. Um, and they're built to be uh, taken by the gamer and then generally not resold unless it's in the case of like CSGO, for example. Um, but generally most of these games seem to just sell things as a one-way path and not allow freedom of exchange of these items. That's different than how it used to be when I was younger. So I'm 37 right now, but when I was a kid, you used to be able to list these things on eBay, PayPal, et cetera, and sell them. So what changed were all these um, financial regulations concerning money laundering and all these other things, which created all these early regulations that probably pointed Web2 games away from that. So DeFi is disrupting that. How it's disrupting that and how that'll mature or how these um, regulations will affect that, um, that's to be determined. That's a new type of, of law that seems to be getting researched, um, but it isn't quite in the spotlight yet. So just from my perspective, there isn't a lot made. Um, that's what attracted us to your team. You seem to have actual uh, products developed that we could implement into our website. Um, we could attach a fiat onboarding system, for example, so people could swipe credit cards and purchase items. There could be custodial wallets or non-custodial wallets. That's something we've experienced in the past where people had uh, solutions kind of like yours, but we couldn't find if they were even on chain. So it seemed like no different than a, a web two mechanism. It was a completely custodial system and there was no evidence anything was ever on chain. So what we found with your team was something pretty unique in that you said you had something that actually existed and it actually is more aligned with onboarding web two players, which is giving them the ability to purchase assets with cash, create a wallet without knowledge of MetaMask and things of that sort, and then be able to freely exchange these items after they've been purchased in the aftermarket. Yeah, I think that's uh, the, the best summary you can have for, the, let's say, the current state of you know, Web3 gaming. Because as you mentioned, there's a lot of promise that is being made not a lot of them are actual tangible. A lot of them are based on, you know, hype, formal, short-term thinking. But there are, again, projects like yours that think and 
try to think more long term, let's say, and see, okay, despite all these people that are just, you know, in love with the world of blockchain, how can I onboard the next wave of, you know, players that want to come to this world? They have no interest or love for blockchain per se, but you give them a value that is so sticky that they want to take that and continue the world of the blockchain world. For example, like blockchain in a large uh, scale, you know, you can have a full economy on top of it. But there's a lot of, you know, jargons of words, as you mentioned, like staking or, I don't know, different types of taxes, tokenomics that can confuse users so easily that they can say, okay, no, I don't want this because the alternative is, you know, much easier. I, I want to only install this game and, you know, start playing. But to your point, as if we can onboard these players as fast as possible and in a decentralized way, that was a really important point that you mentioned, like, if we want to bother with blockchain, then at least we need to have an attempt of making the right level of things decentralized. Because I think we would come to blockchain and also make things centralized. I think that's a bad deal because it's a worse of both worlds. We have the complexity of blockchain and, you know, the things are not still figured out. So that was also a really important point um, to make sure that you do the right um, you know, onboarding of the users and don't overpromise a lot of things. So for MetaGates in, in that context, because, you know, there, there are complicated tokenomics and all of that. What is the focus of MetaGates in terms of adopting blockchain? Is it asset ownership right now? What do you have in mind about, you know, the value of Web3 that you can offer your players? So, so a, a lot of these games, they're, they're selling as I said, in-game gold, and it's just infinitely sold into the world. Um, it doesn't allow there to be much feeling of scarcity in games. Um, if bugs are exploited, people bought, they can offset the economy pretty hard. And then um, you don't have this feeling of like, oh, I have this rare item anymore. Or, oh, I have this cool thing that no one else has. Um, Metagates has been developed to have a, a very scarce economy, but not too scarce to where there's a massive barrier to entry to play. So the, the basis of our, our game economy is um, there's a player created economy, which means going out, harvesting wood, harvesting ore, skinning animals, getting leather, and then making the, the core items in the game. So the core items in the game are like your armor, your weapons, uh, your food, your potions. And then from there, you go out and you, you kill monsters or um, you can go after things like uh, arena battles or into open world PvP. So our arena battles, they're similar to things like League of Legends, where we built this combat system where you have these abilities and the abilities are balanced around um, international pings. So like, if I'm fighting over in Asia against someone in North America, there's usually in, in top title games, a 300 ping, 350 ping difference um, between those parts of the world. So Amazon and Unreal have released new technology that allows you to really 
reduce that number into the, the hundreds range um, if properly deployed. So you can go into this arena, you can fight other teams, the, the skills are optimized around those pings, the servers have been optimized for that, the graphics have been optimized for that. And when you, when you beat the other team, um, they drop their, their gear and their weapons and you loot them. Um, so that's, that's like the, the core of the economy. They're like, that's the, the token that goes into the arcade, for example the arcade machine. So you put in your token, you, you get something, right? You get playtime. So the playtime is um, how long you can survive with this gear that you're wearing. Um, so if you go into the arena, you beat the other team, you get their gear, you get higher ranking. Um, or you can take that out against monsters and fight monsters and get gold. Um, so Gold is just a unit of trade like in real life. The world started, I want to get crazy philosophical in this, but it started as a state of nature where every man's for every man eventually became civilized and trade became trade, right? Like everyone wasn't just doing everything themselves and uh, developing everything from nothing. Um, some people were better at some things and some people were better at other things. Maybe there would be like a fisherman or someone who's better at hunting animals in the forest or whatever, and they they trade, right? And currencies develop. So Metagates has its own in-game currency, just like any other MMORPG. It's just finite, and it's blockchain-based. So the goal of our economy is to use it as a medium of exchange. If some people like going and gathering and crafting, doing logistics, um, and uh, producing items in, in, an, in an ecosystem instead of fighting monsters or doing PVP. Some people like doing all those things, but those people um, can take those items produced, like the armor and the weapons, and there could be people who are into PVP or killing monsters that don't like gathering and crafting, and um, they can buy gold from other players and then purchase those items. So the, the idea behind our economy is um, to allow players to go out, produce the economy, the, the ecosystem, the, the gold, the resources, and then trade amongst each other. And ideally we would take a small rake of that, um, like uh, market fees, taxes in game and things like that. And that's where Metagates makes our revenue. So ideally, that's that's how we want to use blockchain this year as a full picture of adopting it into Metagates. So we've created a crafting system, a gathering system, mobs, um, an arena system, and all that. And uh, we're slowly putting it all together um, getting it stabilized on a live server, testing it with our players and uh, our community. And that's that's how we plan to deploy blockchain is just having an actual player owned economy. Um, and if players want to buy gear from other players and, and pay for that convenience, then that's where the money comes from. Uh, the rest of it is just cosmetic and uh, 
uh, you know, kind of like a flex-based item, like like an emote or a cape, um, things like that, which are things you see. So yeah, we will be selling gold in Metagates, um, a very small chunk, but the rest of it sold comes from the players. Yeah, it kind of describes a, you know, a, a full economy basically. That there are certain places that you know you can create value for the system. As you mentioned, like player do certain activities, and it seems like you have placeholder for those things, and then the economy is gonna get created, and you're gonna have you know, its assets getting generated, and uh, probably the interesting thing, and uh, maybe it's also same for a lot of games is. There are different player profiles, as you mentioned. You know, there are some who just gather. There are people who are, I don't know, fighting. Some people just want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to say cheat, but they want to pay something to enjoy, you know, an experience or um, uh, something. So, like, there are different player profiles, and there are all these assets. There are all these ways of generating those assets, and then it's just backed by blockchain. So instead of it being stored in a on a black box on a company server. It's on blockchain. So that to me is like the most straightforward of using blockchain in a game, as you mentioned. Exactly. exactly. It should just be cheaper, better, and faster than conventional technology. And that's how an, a new technology replaces an old one, in my opinion. So it, it shouldn't be too much different than Web 2, other than um, having those qualities that I just, just expressed being cheaper, better, and faster. So this, this replaces eBay and PayPal and all of those shady websites where people go to buy skins or in-game gold and things of that sort, which are, uh, there are a lot of prolific scams in, in these ecosystems. So blockchain can solve that problem, make it a lot more honest. And then if you can see What's in the world economy, just like you said, if it's if it's not in a black box in, in some com private company's server room to see how much gold is in the world, because a lot of these games don't really open up their APIs. And if they do, they're limited. Um, then you can have a, a more a lot more fun doing logistics or trying to corner like making cloth robes and the economy or something like that like you can actually have a group of your friends get together and, and try to corner something and and be part of, of an ecosystem be part of an online ecosystem so so it's a very interesting time and and this technology i think can bring a lot more fun to gaming and uh, Web2 players, they don't even know they're Web2 players. They don't even know what Web2 means. So having Web3 and saying this is all Web3 versus Web2, et cetera, shouldn't even be a thing in the next few years. It should just be like, these are new. These are qualities of the game. These are options within the game. This is just gaming now. This new technology has just become gaming. So um, that's my take on it. I think that's absolutely the right take. And again, I, I wish more games adopt this mindset. I, as you mentioned, I'm also seeing, I'm trying to see the core benefits of this. And for me, on the builder side, on the people like you who are just building something or all the other innovators, is 
the composable way of building on blockchain, that's really interesting to me because, you know, somebody has created the L1 chain and somebody created L2 chain to make it faster. And there are people who are creating like social protocol on top of that. But again, it's like all the data is open. So that's the beautiful thing of, you know, trying to build on top of each other. Maybe someone can, I don't know, build something on top of MetaGates in future. But because all the data is like on blockchain open, then everybody goes, is going to get benefit out of that. And for the user side, I think that's probably the best description of the current situation. Like, hey, your data, your assets, your whatever, your the player that are playing any game, they're spending time and effort. So do you want to own those data or not? I think almost 99% of people want to say, yes, I would like to have that option. So if, if we can make that a reality, I think that's good enough. And in the, in the long distance, a whole economy can be built on top of that. And then we can get to more complicated stuff. And probably we're going to have better tooling, better resources to make that economy work. But yeah, I, I, I think the evolution should get us there. We shouldn't force it from day one or try to confuse people or scam people in the short term. While again, like the best way to onboard people right now is, hey, do you want to own this asset or not? If yes, then great. Welcome, welcome uh, to the journey. Um, and I think a lot of people should uh, take, you know, see value in that. Uh, but for, for MetaGaze right now, I, I'm pretty sure there were a lot of things behind the scenes, you know. There's development work, you probably had fundraising work, marketing work. Like what was the most challenging part of, you know, uh, building and getting MetaGaze to the current stage? Um, I, I think the, the most challenging part was not focusing on fundraising and focusing on actually bringing the game to fruition. Um, last year, we went to so many different conferences and so many different events and met so many different VCs. Um, it was very clear that for gaming, at least, a lot of these VCs, they wanted a Ponzi or they wanted something that um, it, it's that just isn't good for consumers. Um, so the more and more we talk to VCs, the more we realize that they're out. They're actually out to get the common man. They're actually not trying to create anything fair at all. Um, so from my take, most of the VCs and spending time with VCs when you're dealing with a game is very, very bad. Um, game and, and, and getting and, it into the community's hands and getting it was far more important than that style of fundraising. Um, because most of the community that we've seen, they're willing to make purchases in the game and actually give us real revenue um, by putting their hands on the game and testing it and seeing its direction is if you're building a game, you actually build a game, get it in the community's hands and don't go spend time with VC. Let them come to you. If they're not coming to you, then you're wasting your time. Um, we spent a lot of time even with VCs that came to us and in my opinion, it was a waste of time because uh, the VCs, the terms that they want and the structure of the game that they want 
um, is very parasitic to consumers. So that's why it's one of the main, in my opinion, it's one of the main reasons Web3 gaming is catching on slowly with Web2 is because VCs forced so many parasitic tokenomics, parasitic um, sales systems into these new games. And gamers are smarter than that. People sitting at home all day, not making a lot of money, they look at these things and I show them to, to people that I've played a lot of games with. They look at the game, they're like, yeah, no, I would never play that. Like, <laughs> that's a scam. They, they immediately identify it. And for some reason, VCs haven't caught on to that yet. I mean, they're still pumping money into things like soul chicks. You know, I don't mean to trash soul chicks, but um, I've heard a lot of people complain about investing a lot of money in soul chicks and then they lost everything. Same with Axie Infinity. Same with Blanco's Block Party. Um, they have a lot of parasitic systems, and that's that's probably what we wasted the most time on was doing that instead of focusing on the community. If we had just focused on the game and community, um, we'd be even further than we are right now, which is pretty far um, compared to a lot of games. But yeah, that's that's my take. It's pretty it's pretty anti VC, <laughs> um, at least for the the gaming venture side. I think that's a golden advice for the long-term thinking builder. So did I get that correct? That if you are, if you have the skills to build a game or something, then based on your experience, don't even waste time with VCs. Build something, uh, gather a bit of community. Even as you mentioned, you can sell some, you know, NFTs that are going to be used inside the game or land that is going to be used inside the game. Maybe start with that. And then VCs, at least the right ones, hopefully come and seek you rather than you waste time trying to seek them in the beginning. Probably that's the best way to go. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Really, the, the sales part, uh, my philosophy is modeling it after something similar to the Kickstarter rewards. So Kickstarter, Indiegogo, et cetera, that's, that's what I see blockchain as another replacement for, or those types of platforms. So you, you have this great idea, you have a proof of concept, you put it out there and you have these different rewards packages. Maybe people get a title or a cape or uh, you get to reserve your name or you get your, your guild crest in the game. You get these, you get these cool little trinkets, uh, th those types of things for an MMORPG um, have, have timelessly sold as, as fundraising mechanisms for games for at least the last 20 years. So why do anything crazy different than that if, if that's what attracted, you know, millions and millions of people to to purchase packages and in all these other games of the past, so that that's what that's my take. And and if you can't go and produce a game quickly without any money, then you shouldn't be making a game <laughs> because all these tools out in Unity and Unreal allow you to have a proof of concept. Like I think our proof of concept took us like a month to make and get online and get testing. Just a basic combat system on with a with a login screen and you got a character and you have these items and equipment and whatnot. And we put that together in like a few, like maybe three or four weeks tops with two or three people working on it. Um, so if you can't do that, then 
in my opinion, you don't have any business making a game yet, so you shouldn't be raising money from VC. <laughs> so, oh. and a lot of people are doing that, unfortunately. You know, like it's just the idea that hey, I want to build a game, and I really hope we get past that phase of you know wishful thinking people or the people you know. I think the fundraising aspect using the NFTs is such a powerful thing. But right now it's getting saturated by people that are promising that, hey, I want to build a game. Like, I don't know, there was a lot of scams. Like uh, someone wanted to build like a, a Pokemon type of game. I, I actually forgot the name, but they raised Pick like someone. 17. Someone. Exactly, pick someone. So I, I hope these guys go away. So the kind of the real projects that need this money to show that, okay, there is something here. There is a cool game here that can be built. Just and, But unfortunately, people are... And at least the current state, it has gotten better, I think. But the current state still thing is like, you know, hey, short-term thinking, taking hype and profit and all of that on, on the short-term basis. But yeah, what, what you guys are doing is long-term. And I think if blockchain only helps with that, then I think it has done its job of, you know, enabling more creators, builders to don't rely only on VC money, for example, to get started. I think that's, that's such, a, such a powerful thing. I agree. And if, if we see gamers come in and they, they don't look at this as like an, an inv a financial investment, like, yes, you are taking your money and investing it into something, but it's like you're investing it into a hobby. Those are the people you want to play these games. Not someone looking of like, oh, I could make all this money if I buy $500 of this video game. Like that's, that's a horrible mindset because that doesn't appeal to a world market. If they're looking at it as like, I'm investing in this hobby, this is what I like doing. Um, then we penetrated the actual gamer market. Um, so by doing that, if these people make 50, $100 playing a video game, that's something they're going to go talk about. They don't care. People don't care about making $10,000 or whatever. Th these crazy DeFi figures that everyone is looking at and expecting from their their um, Web3 gaming endeavors. Like that's not what the mass market cares about at all. If someone flips their skin that they got off some rare drop for 50 or $100, they're gonna, as I just said, this, this person's gonna talk about it to their friends. And, and that's enough, in my opinion, is having this a rare skin sell for 50 or $100 in a video game every now and then. It shouldn't be like, oh, I can quit my job and play this full time. Like if you're leading content in a video game, you're streaming, you have a guild, you have like hundred something people you're organizing in a guild. Yeah, you can do this full time <laughs> um, because that's already a job right now. And in, in web two, people do that. They run um, guilds and games and they do quite well. Um, I mean, they're not living in mansions or anything like that, but that's, that's like a real, um, that's a, that's a real lifestyle. So I, th I think when people start looking and seeing the, the difference between a financial investment and a hobby investment, we see these hobby investments starting to take place. Then we know we're starting to hit, um, a good direction with blockchain gaming. I'm still waiting for this to get proven to me. Nobody has could make this point, but I'm 
I'm waiting for a case that shows there is a sustainable, you know, as you mentioned, like high yielding financial aspect of the blockchain gaming. I don't think it exists because it should be unsustainable. Uh, somebody is going to lose some money for someone else to earn some money. Um, I think that's the case. But as you mentioned, if people actually enjoy spending time on this game, for example, for me, Clash of Clans, I mean, I have a small village there. I like every moment I spend on that, I get joy out of it, let's say. So even I'm willing to pay, I don't know, $10, $20 here and there to, I don't know, upgrade some of my assets or these things. It should be the same case for blockchain gaming as well, with the exception that, for example, in Clash of Clans, I cannot, you know, if I stop playing the game, then the supercell, the owner of Clash Clans, uh, owns everything. But here I can own my assets. So that's the significant, let's say, improvement. And in future, there's a lot more other possibilities um, are there in the world of blockchain gaming. So I, I think we should stick with this narrative. It's just a matter of, you know, the tooling should get better. As you mentioned, in the world of Web2, we have, you know, this Unity engine and all of that. We should get more clarity about, you know, different chains and, you know, for example, wallet uh, solutions should get better. The uh, smart contracts should get easier to work with. You need to have better APIs to read data from blockchain. All these abstractions are going to help us to, you know, make these things that you mentioned a possibility and get to the core of you know, what blockchain is enabling. And hopefully by then, the culture aspect is gonna catch on and people are gonna realize that you, know, you cannot create a sustainable Ponzi scheme game. Like by nature, some of these things are Ponzi. So hopefully VCs, again, the community and all of that are gonna realize it and we can get to the real meat. Um, but I, I think we have discussed, you know, the development aspect of MetaGate so far. So you have some of these, these developers that are helping you kind of, you know, to build the game. And there are some of these tools that are helping you to, um, you know, build those uh, gaming mechanisms a bit easier. You know, as you mentioned, you have the current, you know, uh, MetaGate's gameplay in place. And there was also the fundraising aspect. But what about other aspects of, you know, for example, about the marketing or, for the creative process of, you know, probably there's a story behind MetaGates or, I don't know, design of the assets. How are you handling the, those things and how also you form a team around MetaGates? So that's, those are all some very good questions. So I guess where I'll start with is the name of the game um, and, and building the lure behind the game. Um, so we named the game MetaGates before Facebook decided to rename themselves Meta. Um, we were highly influenced by Neil Stevenson. He's an author who coined the term Metaverse back in, I think, early 90s. But a, a lot of these near science fiction novels, because uh, most of my life and most of my experience has been in near science fiction type applications. Um, just throughout my whole life now and, and what I've been developing. So um, we named the game Metagates because there was another aspect behind a game we like called Albion, Albion Online called Hellgating, where it's like a dungeon, two teams go into the dungeon, um, they, they fight these mobs between monsters between them, they kill the monsters, and then they fight each other. And 
whoever wins gets the the chest at the end of the the Hellgate. So kind of made this um, dual meaning type name where meta also means most effective tactics available in gaming and military. And then gates, um, which were like similar to these hell gates. So that's, that's kind of the, the core of the game. So then we decided to, how are we going to write the lure? How are we going to write the story behind the game? And um, imagine like a portal emerges in real life and you see this portal uh, just appear in a city or in your world. Um, how would people react to that? Well, um, things would be a little bit chaotic in the real world if if some interdimensional portal just appeared in, in a major city and monsters or things started coming out of it. Um, people would start going into a, a chaotic state. They'd, they might start looting, pillaging, killing one another, you know, becoming, becoming, going back to that state of nature type mentality um, that exists before a society. So that was the core idea. That was where we, we decided to build the lore around was, okay, we, we have this, this portal, everybody's going crazy, and then what comes from it? So that, that's the origin. And then um, the things that developed from that, um, we decided to base all the different biomes in the world around real life biomes. So we have um, these different cities in the world, and each one is similar to like, let's say one is Southeast Asia, one is like mainland China, Russia area, one is Europe, uh, one is North America, one is South America, one is, um, well, I already said Southeast Asia, like there's, there's island type regions. So we have all these different biomes that represent real areas in the world. And then um, the lure behind them is going to be pretty similar to the real life lure, but twisting in uh, near science fiction and things that we've read into the world. So like mycelium, for example, the, the underground um, networks that form mushrooms. Um, those have like a, a presence in this world and they do things like there's um, bioremediation going on in the game, for example. I mean, this is going to be integrated in a year or two. It's not in yet, but um, it, it could call upon like a, an in-game internet, an in-game communication system that facilitates messaging and stuff like that. So like, we started integrating all these ideas like that into the game and then extremophiles, for example, there are these deep sea creatures that live at in these sea vents and they, um, they eat things like sulfur or ammonia and then they, they uh, produce different things like they, they imbibe, they, they eat something that's generally a volatile organic chemical, and then they produce something else like uh, titanium or gold or some other material. That's like a real 
organism that exists that you could research that if properly harnessed um, can be used to produce it's called nano fermentation it's another scientific advanced scientific process for creating a reactor out of these microorganisms that that does things so that's that's the recycling system in the game so like taking these concepts that are near science fiction and integrating it into a fantasy world um, so that people can understand that these things even exist that's been the core philosophy behind the game so there's there's a lot of lore written about that um, there's some in our documentation on the website but we have a few hundred pages already written on stuff like this that'll be making its way into the game over time that it's going to be its own world basically that people can slowly start to explore and yeah it's, it's, it's super interesting um and i always like this type of games you know because you know you can um, take the role of a character let's say and then slowly again start to explore and see you know ex expand your world in a sense um is there a strategy element to the game as well or like how would you describe that you know the, the the exact genre of the game for the for the players so it's similar to eve online or albion online in that there are different biomes and ecosystems there's a there's a central city and then uh, a, a ring around that city of of support cities and then a ring around that of uh like a deep territories where the more valuable resources are so the deeper you venture into the world the more you're risking the more you you can be rewarded so if you're out in the further ring of the game the further the far very far distance from town um you can't just teleport back to town easily um but you'll have access to the highest tier resources and uh, monsters will drop more more gold so the idea is we'll have regional economies in the game and um before you can mint something on chain you would have to transport these items back to town and get them into the main city because you can't just go out to the hardest zone in the game grab their rarest item and then log out and put that thing on the blockchain and sell it you have to transport it back to t to town so there's logistics caravanning behind that which gives a reason to have land in the game and land isn't really some pay to win mechanism it's it's just a convenience factor so if you're if you're really deep in the game very far away from a town and you get this rare drop yes you can go store it in your home but you can't just teleport back to the main city and list it on the marketplace you have to run it back to town and running back alone isn't really that's not very smart that's it's convenient yes but you risk getting killed by other players and losing that item so the strategy in this game it comes down to there are many many layers of strategy it's what are you going after like what are you trying to harvest um what are you trying to craft is that 
thing that you're crafting in demand. Um, everything is created by the players. So if all the players that are out going out fighting monsters decide that hammers are really great for, for killing these monsters, and everybody's trying to buy hammers and the ore is being de depleted and all this high tier ore is being depleted. There might be considerable demand for ore in this certain region of the game, which leads people to go out there and, and contend for it. So people that are out gathering or trying to get the, the resources to craft, they might mass up their friends. They might say, hey, I need, I need some people to guard me, play support, help me gather these materials and transport them back to town. So they'll call upon an array of friends or possibly hire mercenaries to come protect them while they do this and, and hope they aren't betrayed. So that's, that's how the game's been built. A lot of these mechanisms were in games like uh, Ultima Online and Albion Online, um, two pretty, pretty famous games um, that are similar to this. And that's like one of the core, the core ideas behind the game in strategy is, is it's understanding where the resources are, having log the logistics to get those resources back to town, have those items crafted into items that you need, and then going back into the world and getting value out of those items by either killing monsters, um, harvesting more uh, materials, or killing your enemies and taking their, their gear um, and bringing it to your team or, or storing it in your, in your bank vaults, your guild bank vaults or your personal bank vaults. Has a lot of layers on top of it. <laughs> when you look at the game, you don't see that, okay, it has its own, you know, its own world, basically. Um, which, I mean, it, it's gonna be really, interesting to explore this world i am pretty sure and uh, probably again if it's backed up by a, a real economy then you know it's going to be even a higher incentive for people to go and as you mentioned like explore all these different things even form partnerships and you know that can have its own let's say little economy and it's, there's a lot of interesting things that can be explored there so maybe as a final question what is currently there for players to you know try metagates with and what is upcoming, let's say, in the next six months for MetaGates? So right now we've got the main starter town built. We've got the combat system built. We've been doing some PvP tournaments, getting people to give a lot of feedback on the combat system to polish it. So everything right now is focused on usability, um, that, user ex that, that refined user experience, movement, locomotion, like when your character stops or pivots or looks in a certain direction, all the animations sync up, the user interface, the controls, the user controls. Um, we've put a lot, a lot of detail and polish on, on these mechanisms. And we put a lot of focus on that starter world. Like that's what we're building first, which will have some basic monsters, some basic loot drops, some basic quests. Um, but in that game server, we've got this entire world already built. 
like I've already mentioned all these cities and this wilderness and expansive environment, that's already there. That's already in the test build. Um, over the next six months, we'll be populating that. So portals will start appearing that take you to different areas around this world. Um, those areas will start getting populated. We'll start building small settlements in those areas and people will be able to go out and spread out and understand the lay of the land because in this game land is understanding where to put land is a skill so like if if let's say like early new york city or an early city when it when it's first opened no one knows where that like downtown 7-Eleven is going to go or that like that like high traffic convenience store, for example, that goes that's built hundreds of years later. No one understands where that is. But some people understood where those where those areas of high traffic were in New York 50, 80 something years ago, right? Because they bought those strips downtown and and really put a lot of emphasis in keeping them and keep in upkeeping them and developing them. So you can select a piece of land in the game because as I said, everything's player crafted um, and there's a focus on logistics. And if you place your home in a good location in this game, then there could be benefit from it. Like you could, for example, place a home and put crafting tables at your home um, they give bonuses for crafting plate armor because this region is known for making great plate armor. So you place place your home in, in this region and you put a crafting table up for, for plate armor and you set the taxes on your crafting station to say, hey, I can charge 4% taxes if if you craft your plate armor at my house. It's very convenient because it's right next to the bank. And it's right next to the, the the full player market. So because of that, um, it has a high volume of um, traffic. So like that that's what I see in terms of like land in this game. It it has to have a use case. It has to have skill behind it. So that's that's another layer of strategy. Uh, that goes into the game and another another um, dynamic part of our economy and ecosystem. I mean, it's, it's really thoughtful way of thinking about these things. You know, you, you shouldn't just, you know, promise land in a game where you don't know what is the use case of that land because it's just it's so easy to say, hey, but I mean, we know that, you know, land in, in the real world has certain use cases you know the location or how it's getting used so um it needs to be much deeper and it seems like you you're thinking about these things let's say deeply um every day and uh, probably um what i'm sensing is on top of your mind right now is to get as many players as possible inside the game so they can give you feedback and you can you know adjust these you know gameplays and all of that and maybe integrate the right blockchain integration points inside the game as well maybe gradually and then you know try to evolve these 
different layers of strategy inside the game. I think that would be um, what's going to be upcoming for MetaGates. So if, if there's anybody here listening and want to explore a really, really fun game, definitely check the MetaGates website. I think right now it should be available on Windows for people to, to, to test the game, right? Yes, yes, it's available on Windows, but we will be having a Mac client come out soon. Unfortunately, with Unreal, you need to have an M1 to compile a Mac client for M1 processors. So someone from our community made a considerable donation so that we could uh, we could buy that M1 Apple uh, computer and compile um, clients for Apple over the next few weeks. So hopefully let's cross our fingers that, that that's a seamless integration. <laughs> um, but you know, with anything that you're you're developing, there's all there's always some sort of catch. Sometimes you run into to a a wall and takes a few more extra weeks to get it adapted. But yeah, right now Windows we're on Elixir Launcher, um, and generally we have an open door policy with people testing the game. Like if somebody wants to test the game, you don't have to buy the NFT. You just express to us that you want to play the game and um, come into our Discord. We're generally in our voice chat, streaming development or streaming gameplay as, as a community. Like, I think something you asked before was, how did we, we get our team? Um, our team was developed through word of mouth. And just by sitting in Discord streaming, uh, we attracted a lot of talented developers. Um, some work full-time, some work part-time, some are volunteers. Um, we ended up getting, I think right now we have over 20 people contributing to the project in various ways. Some are interns, obviously, that just wanted to be part of the game. There are people who watched us build this from nothing. They might have played other games with us and they, they were like, hey, I want to I want to learn how to do this, or I have skills with music or sound, and I want to I want to help in this way, or I want to make I want to help make videos for the game. I want to I want to stream the game. I want to do the tournament announcements. I want to do this. I want to do that. Like a lot of people have come out of the woodwork um, to offer to help on the game. And um, from the early days, we were like, listen, you know, we haven't really we're doing this because we want to. We don't. We didn't go raise a bunch of money or anything like that. So we can't can't promise you anything. So all the people who stuck around are people who didn't care about that. They just wanted to make this type of game. They wanted to get their hands dirty and and either learn something new or apply something they know to this project. So um, that's something you asked earlier that I didn't answer. But yeah, that's that's how we uh, we developed our team. Was everyone has a mutual passion for this style of game, and that's and very that's very important. important. And it's enabling that right now, as you mentioned. Like like-minded people are gathered in MetaGates community, and you know, in in a sense, it's a family basically. But you're, you know, trying to probably, you know, you have all the things you need as a if you have the right level of skill set. I think. You need to understand game. You need to understand this mechanism that that you mentioned today. 
But if you have that, again, the only way of going and doing this is raise a lot of money from VCs or have a lot of saving or be rich or something. But in this world, you can start a Discord community. You can slowly put things out, you know, show a demo, show something and show progress. And you will attract these people that are like-minded. They love the vision. They love the product. They love the story. And they're going to join your, let's say, mission. And hopefully something good will come out of it. And as you mentioned, like there is no token gating or anything. Like you, you need to buy this expensive NFT to get to our, no. Like you can come, you can test stuff. And if you want to, I don't know, be more like closer to the community or get some perks or things, then you can think about, you know, buying the NFT for characters or lands of meta gates, but it's not necessary to start with that. Um, this has been a great discussion, Nick. I have personally learned a lot from the world of, you know, how to think about building games, how to think about, you know, progressing through this really chaotic, you know, world of, you know, Web3 games. Um, any last words from your side? Um, no, I, I thought this was a great conversation. And if uh, we have an open invitation for you to come watch us develop or watch us uh, test and play the game. So just hop in our Discord. That's that's the those are my closing remarks. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. See you guys in the next one. Thank you Thank so you much so as much. well.